So we're right up at the end of this series on practices that transform a heart, and I want to remind you of the three things that I've reminded you of almost every message in this series so far, and, and, uh, and I've worded it differently at different times, but the first point is this, the gospel is as much about transformation as it is about salvation. We can look at that in a whole bunch of different ways. Another way I put it was that salvation includes current transformation in your life. It's not just some future thing where we've got to wait around for God to show up, but rather the kingdom of heaven is here and the spirit of God has been poured out now and he's here with us and dwelling us, changing us, transforming us, and salvation has all of that wrapped up and included in, 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 in the message. The next point, and I put it this way today, and that is that we, we should be smitten with the kingdom of God. It's a word we hear every day, right? Smitten? I think it was because I was watching a kitten video that I put smitten in there. It's smitten and kitten. It goes together so well. You guys like cat videos, right? No? But you see where there's like somebody that like, uh, what do you... Like, sued some neighbor or something because his cat stole his bacon or something like that? Like, I mean, that's a pretty bad offense, right? Like, everybody likes bacon, you know? But, I mean, to sue some neighbor because their cat stole your bacon, either that or that was a lot of bacon, one or the other, I don't know. But anyway, back to the kingdom of God. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. No, it was, no. Um, you know, just taken by the kingdom of God, just consumed by the kingdom of God, God's presence, his kingdom, his dwelling, his ways, his rule, his authority coming right here, smack dab, into the middle of the world. Right here, it's here. The kingdom of God is here. And it is of great value. We are wise to trade everything else to receive it, to enter it, to be part of it. And then the last thing is that tied in with point number one, we really need our hearts decalcified, softened, made new, tenderized, replaced. I don't care how you want to think about it, but it's our heart out of which everything we do flows. And I don't know about y'all, although I know about some of y'all, <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we don't always have really great stuff flowing out. We're good at faking it sometimes, but we need, we need our hearts transformed. We need the center of our being out of which everything flows change. And God can do that work. Today, so it's the last in this series, and I know you all are really sad about that, but we are going to talk about worship. I mentioned this last week. Worship is more than singing. Unfortunately, it seems as though oftentimes in the contemporary church, that is what we talk about, singing, when we talk about worship. Oh, what are you doing? Um, I'm worshiping. Oh, yeah, what are you singing? I mean, it's just we make this jump too fast. Worship is way bigger than that. Worship is actually a, a lifestyle. Worship is a life lived in adoration. It's not less than singing, but it is certainly so much more. Of course, this is the same concerning praying. Prayer is a form of worship. 
praising God in numerous different fashions as a form of worship. Maybe standing out on the street corner and just shouting as loud as you can how much you love Jesus. That would be worship. Well, as a matter of fact, all of those things technically lead to worship. But again, worship is so much more than any of those individual things. I like William Temple's description of worship. To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God. To feed the mind with the truth of God. To open the heart to the love of God. To devote the will to the purpose of God. That's big. That's way bigger than singing. (laughs) Right? And for what it's worth, everybody worships something. Everybody worships something, whether they know it or not. Some people worship other people. Some people worship other things. Drugs, music, sex. Some people even worship religion itself. Some people worship false gods. Some people worship themselves. So it's important to note that everybody worships and not everybody worships what they should. There is only one who deserves our worship. And maybe if we understand the breadth and scope of what worship is, we can learn to see maybe in our own lives places where our worship is misdirected. And by the way, you don't have to use the word worship to worship. Just like you don't have to use the word run to run or eat to eat or laugh to laugh. Those are all just words and there's a reality behind the word. And that reality comes before we name it something. So the idea behind worship is at heart. Describing the act or the act of giving yourself over to something or someone in reverence and surrendering yourselves to give honor and homage to that person or that thing. It's something that originates in our hearts. Something that starts deep within us, a longing that we have, and it brings a person to oftentimes literally bow down or even fall down in praise And importantly, in service to the object of their worship. We worship God. We should worship God for who He is. Just simple as that. Worshiping God for who He is. We really don't need to make it any farther than that. But we also worship God for what He has done. Worship glorifies the object of our worship. It illuminates, it puts a spotlight on it. I mean, God is glorious in and of Himself, and we don't add to His glory, but we can point to it. We can point to it by what we do, by how we live our lives. True worship moves God to the center, and everything else, including ourselves, off to the side just singularly focuses on God. True worship does anyway. I've mentioned this point before. You become like what you worship. Ever stop and think about that before? You become like what you worship. Think about maybe somebody that doesn't worship God, that worships all of their stuff. 
You know, every time I think about this, I hadn't planned on doing this, but every time I think about this, I think about people who look like they're pets. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm talking about? You ever noticed that before? Right? Or see the posts on Facebook, like some guy like just looks just like his Afghan hound, and it's like, wow, that's crazy. Anyway, I don't know if that means that they're worshiping their pets. I don't think it has in mind that they start to look like the things that they worship. Nonetheless. <laughs> well, I don't worship him, but... <clears throat> Um, but maybe, I don't, I don't know. You'll have to tell me. I think it might be more stout. I seem to have gotten stoutly lately. Although, portly works too, so. <laughs> it's one of the spiritual truths we see in Scripture. If you worship objects that your hands have made that are blind, mute, and deaf, you become blind and mute and deaf, particularly to the things of the one true God. Because we're not paying honor and homage to the one who we should be worshiping, and we become deaf to the things of God, blind to the things of God, unable to speak concerning the things of God. We become like what you worship. So let's worship Jesus, <laughs> that we might become like him. The biblical word, or actually words, translated worship, to me are absolutely fascinating. In both Hebrew and Greek, the words translated worship are words of posture and of work. Words of posture and work. There's two primary words in Hebrew, two primary words in Greek, and it's interesting how they both have the same range of meaning. In Hebrew, one of the most common words for worship is shaka. It's a nice word, right? Shaka. I think I've made up a little shaka song before with that, but we'll let that be in the past. <laughs> you guys know the shaka khan, right? And they made a chaka knock song. Okay, oh, we're, not, we're not going there. We are not going there. Shaka has in mind bowing down to prostrate yourself, to fall down, to be on your knees, to just lay on the ground in reverence before whatever it is you're worshiping. It's like recognizes, oh my goodness, that, wow, you're talking God Almighty, and you can't even stand in his presence. Just fall on your face. Shaka, the worship, falling down before God Almighty. One of the other common words is abad. And this word actually can be translated to serve or to work. Yeah, imagine that. To serve, to do something. To do something kind of like in keeping with the one whom you're worshiping. It's to worship. In Greek, all right, I know some of you are like, I don't like this part, but I can't help it. I love it. Pro, we talked about this word in Bible study last week. It's proskuneo. It's a compound word made up of pros and kuneo. Pros means toward, and kuneo means mwah, to kiss. To kiss toward. Actually, technically, how it's used is the same way shaka is used. It's to fall on the ground and kiss it. 
face down, to kiss the ground, because you are revering that which you are before so much. It's a beautiful image, though. I've heard preachers distort it and start talking about all kinds of strange kissing. We won't go there. It's to kiss the ground. To kiss the ground. Falling on your knees, falling on your face before the one who you are worshiping. It's an incredible image. Sometimes I think in some of our acts of worship, we're just a little bit too reserved. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's contexts in which people need to be a little more reserved. (laughs) But maybe we're a little too reserved. The second word in Greek is lateria. Guess what that means? To serve or to work or to worship. It's amazing how in both the Hebrew and the Greek, both languages, all the biblical writers of both those languages found words that embodied both the idea of falling down in reverence before the one whom you're worshiping and also serving, working for the one whom you are worshiping. We see both of these words oftentimes in the Old and New Testaments in close proximity. One example is while Jesus is being tempted in the desert, Satan tempts Jesus, offering him all the authority and splendor that come with the kingdoms of the world. If he would only worship him, Jesus would only worship Satan. In response, Jesus says, whatever, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship proskuneo. Serve the treo. Either way, well, let me back up. You could translate that then this way. Kiss the ground before the Lord and worship him only. Kiss the Lord, kiss the ground before the Lord and worship him only is another way you could translate worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Two ideas are interconnected very closely. When I look through the scriptures, I see these two ideas of worship being used in specific contexts, though. Proskuneo, lying face down on the floor, is what we would typically associate today with the kind of worship, honestly, we see in a church service. Singing, shouting, dancing. Usually when those things are in mind, proskuneo is the word. When the Ethiopian eunuch is talked about in Acts, having come from Jerusalem, from the temple. That's the word to describe what he did in the temple. He went to proskuneo. He went, this Ethiopian eunuch who then gives his life to Jesus, he went to kiss the ground before Yahweh in the temple. Lateria, serving, is what we typically associate today with how our lives are lived in daily service. Loving God by serving one another. That is an act of worship to love one another. It's an act of worship to love one another like Jesus has called us to love. Something unfortunately not thought of often enough as an act of worship. This is what word Paul uses in Romans 12, 1. Part of the text Kat read earlier. Therefore, 
He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is your true and proper service. This is your true and proper work unto the Lord, is to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We so much need both of these ideas in our worship. Falling face down and actively serving must be re-entering the minds of what we think of when we think, when we think of worship. We, ha- we have to allow those things to enter into our lives. You know, I was talking with Holly this week about this. She was preparing for the children's message and everything as well. And it struck me, the posture of worship, taking the posture of worship, just falling down before God without serving, misses the mark. Bowing down to God or laying prostrate before Him or falling face down on the floor, even kissing the ground before Him, but then not living our lives in service to God that reflects that kind of actual surrender is quite honestly false worship. If we're going to stand before God and fall at His feet, if He has feet, Jesus has feet, so Jesus has feet at least, to fall down before him. If we're going to do that and say we surrender our lives to you, but then we go on and just kind of do our own thing, what was that? What do you think of it, parents, when your kids come over to you and they say, I'm going to do exactly what you want me to, I'll go clean my room, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they go off and they don't do it. I love you so much, you're such a good daddy, okay, go clean your room. Right? Is that... (laughs) That's what I always say when my kids say they love me. Go clean your room. (laughs) Good. Your rooms are really clean. (laughs) Not. (laughs) Because I don't really do that. In the same way, though, the action of just serving without bowing oneself down to the true God also misses the mark of true worship. We have to have both of those things. Our true service must ultimately glorify God. Because we can serve in a way that doesn't really glorify God. We can glorify ourselves by it, right? We can be like, oh, look at what I did. It was so cool. I went to Honduras and I fed a whole bunch of people and man, am I good. Yes. No, that's false worship too. We have to have both of these things together. But I'm afraid that today in the church we're really posture heavy. We're really kind of good at falling down on our knees before God. But we're not necessarily so good at serving. And I know I'm probably just preaching to the choir because this church is a huge exception to that. Huge exception to that. We're going to talk about it anyway. Why? Why just in the North American church in general do we, do we see a lot of people pledging their allegiance to worship God, but then moving about their merry way and not doing a lot? And I think there are tons of reasons. I mean, one of them is that people don't know that they're supposed to. People don't know what they should do. People don't know how to serve. They don't know what to do. They're afraid. We're not going to talk about that anymore, though. There's a big reason, a huge reason. The church, if you're not paying attention, pay attention right now. This case, paying attention. The church has commodified the gospel. Turns it into something to sell. 
like, I'm the CEO. The gospel is what we're selling. And y'all are my salespeople. Right? Among many other horrifying things, and no, that's not right, by the way. That is not the way it works. The gospel is not something you sell. The gospel is something you live, something you embody, something you give your entire life to. The gospel is the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus has been resurrected. Jesus is king. All right. Among many other horrifying things that happen when the gospel is treated as a commodity, worship, in particular, becomes a marketing tool. When worship becomes a marketing tool, it's all about the worshipers and not about the one being worshipped. You guys know what I'm talking about? Have you experienced this before? I know some of you have. I've had conversations about this with some of you. Where worship is about attracting people. It's about how great our band is, how great our vocalists are, doing everything just right, just nailing it perfect so it feels like you're at a doggone rock concert. And then, oh my goodness, wow, their worship is so incredible in that aspect. We can't help but want to come back. That's why I sing worship here sometimes, to lower the bar. (laughs) Way down. What are you laughing about? (laughs) We, We can't turn singing. We can't turn this throwing ourselves pros cuneo face down on the ground to worship Jesus into some way to market to people. It does work if you're just trying to attract a big crowd. But it doesn't work when it comes to lives transformed, to people understanding that we actually are to serve this one who we worship. Instead of worship being about, in those situations, falling face down on the floor to offer honor and glory to the one true God and to serve Him only, worship is just turned into a means to attract people to evoke some sort of a feeling. Gospel is not a commodity. I'm not a CEO. Y'all are not salespeople. And worship is not a means to sell something, nor is it about a feeling that you or I get. Worship is not about what you or I can get out of it. Worship is about God. It's about our response to who He is and what He has done. Now for what it's worth, you may, in kissing the ground before God, experience His presence and feel something and be deeply moved. And it's nice, honestly, when those things happen. But they cannot become why we worship. Actually, I think it's by God's design that we don't always feel like that. As a matter of fact, some people I know have gone years without feeling anything in worship. And it's actually, in many ways, a gift. Because it's really easy to get sucked into that world where you just show up because you want to feel something. And then if you didn't feel anything, oh, the worship wasn't so great tonight. Boy. 
If God just let us feel what we wanted to feel all the time, worship would become exactly what it's not supposed to be. It would be one more self-centered, self-serving exercise. What do we do? What do we do if this is true, that the gospel's been commodified and unfortunately serving God hasn't become so in vogue, but having an experience is? What's the way through? What do we do? I'm going to be honest with you, I've got kind of zilcho as far as anything profound to say. I think it just starts with the rediscovering of the gospel. Recognizing that true worship is a human response to divine initiative. Or in other words, in true worship we bow down to God because, as I said, of who He is and what He has done. And we serve Him only. It's really kind of simple. We need to rediscover that our worship of God is bigger than we sometimes think it is. And that we do it not because of anything we're going to get, but because God deserves it. He has offered His one and only Son to die for us that we might have life. My goodness, if there's... He deserves our worship. Paul, reflecting on what God has done in amazingly giving everyone in the entire world over to sin that he might have mercy on us all. Ever stop and ponder that for a minute? That God's way of saving the world is giving, them all, giving us all over to sin that he can have mercy on us all? Yeah. In pondering that, Paul breaks into spontaneous worship. It's also part of what Kat read earlier. It's Romans 11, 33 through 36. And he says this in light of what I'm just talking about there. He says, oh, the depth and riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Because when we get that idea in our mind that God wants to have mercy on all, and so he's handed all over to sin that he might have mercy on us all, oh my goodness, it makes so much sense, but we would have never thought of that. But God does think of those sorts of things. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him, And for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And it is that that Paul immediately follows then. Unfortunately, there's a chapter break. I hate chapter breaks. Paul didn't put those in. He says, therefore, therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy. In view of this, like he handed everybody over to sin that he might have mercy on us all, that we can't do anything to repay him. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is your true and proper service. Ravished by the kingdom of God, by the good news of a good king who loves to have mercy on us. I have one closing thought. Maybe just more than a thought. It's likely too much for me to just blurt out here, but you guys know me by now. 
When we gather in this place, this space, it's special. There's something unique that happens when we gather together and we throw ourselves literally or figuratively down before Jesus and kiss the ground. There's something amazing that happens in this experience. Special. And honestly, there's just no words for it. When we worship together, we typically gather together in, in a temple, or in this case, a sanctuary. And you see that throughout, throughout history, people gathering together in a building, in a place, in a space. But gathered worship in this sanctuary is supposed to spill out into a much larger sanctuary. It is supposed to spill into God's cosmic sanctuary. His cosmic temple. That temple being His creation. This actually is a sanctuary inside of a huge sanctuary that's quite honestly bigger than we even have a clue. In the Genesis creation narratives, God is building a place for him to dwell. And people made in his image to dwell, to dwell with. Creation is made by the creator as his cosmic temple dwelling place. Isaiah 66, 1 puts it this way. God says, concerning the thoughts of a earth, human hands built temple, he says, heaven is my throne, earth, my footstool. What is this house which you would build for me? Unfortunately, even though this understanding of Genesis, this cosmic temple that God is building, that even though that understanding is what should be preeminent when it comes to how we read Genesis, it's been lost under the weight of literalist interpretations. We must regain that the big thing of what God is doing in Genesis is building a cosmic temple in which we have the opportunity as his image bearers to worship him in everything we do and everywhere we go. If we could recapture that idea, wow, maybe then we could embrace this idea of serving God in everything we do as worshiping him. Maybe. It's worth a shot. So, what do you say after we sing a couple more songs? as part of our falling on the ground before our risen Savior, Jesus, kissing the ground to worship Him, that we go forth from this sanctuary to worship Him in His cosmic sanctuary and serve Him only. Amen.